Welcome. You're listening to C-H-O-O-L, The Cool Casts, and the voice of Dan Abernathy. The Cool Cast is recorded, produced, even conceptualized in the Cool Bus, a 1991 international school bus that has been converted into my domain. I've got a great episode lined up for you with, a, with some new poetry in the oral art of the spoken word. Plus, I have Terry Hill, a singer-songwriter that came to the, the cool bus, brought his guitar. We had a fantastic conversation, and uh, he played some tunes for us. So you're going to really, really enjoy a conversation with someone you should know. But before we get started on this, I have to bring into the, the folds of this uh, podcast... Like so many, it's everywhere on the news, but my God, what are we going to do about all the high school shootings? Yesterday was the 22nd shooting in a high school in the United States. That is more than one a week. More of our high school kids are dying in their classrooms than our soldiers fighting on our front line. What is going on? Why are we allowing this to happen and waiting for it to happen again? Out of fear of life, high school kids are taking to peaceful protests only to be ridiculed or in some cases thrown in jail. But nobody in charge is taking a hard stand to stop what's happening. Nobody seems to have accountability. There is no quit fix for this problem. Nothing is going to happen overnight, but a line has got to be drawn and it cannot be crossed. And one of the first things that has to be done is to modify, change, or do something about the Second Amendment. We do not need to have accessibility to firearms in the way that we do. The Second Amendment was written when the only gun available was a flintlock. You shoot it one time, you reloaded it. If it was raining, there's a good chance it wouldn't even fire because the powder got wet. Now we have every type of assault weapon available to anybody that wants one. But we don't need assault rifles. We don't need to stockpile hundreds of thousands of rounds of ammunition. We could be like our forefathers, the ones that won the West, with a pistol, a shotgun, and a rifle. If you can't defend your house with that, plus keeping it to feed your household, then you surely don't need some type of assault rifle with two banana clips taped together in fear of somebody invading your home, breaking into your refrigerator, and stealing your ho-hos. I was raised with guns. I never remember a time that there was not a gun cabinet full of guns for our family. I'm a veteran. I was a paratrooper. My sole purpose of being a 60 gunner was to lay down suppressive fire and kill people. But never once did we do any tactical training to do that inside of a schoolroom. Taking the guns away from everybody that has them now is probably near to impossible. 
just in the county that I live in, I'm sure there are thousands of guns, unregistered guns that people do not know about. And we can't have the Homeland Security cannot come to our doors doing random searches for weapons we might have inside. But we have to do something. We have to make people accountable. We have to vote people into office that will make people accountable. When our own president will turn and say, just because of the monies and the power the NRA has, he will publicly say in a speech that we will never shorten your clips. We will never take your bullets away. You have nothing to worry about. We will not change the Second Amendment. He's doing this only for money. And the people in charge are doing the same. And now we have a new president with the NRA. Oliver North. The guy that was giving guns to the wrong side. I honestly don't know what's going to happen, what has to happen to, to make it all right. I do know that the current administration is doing nothing, and I fear they will do nothing. It's uh, much more plausible for them to beg for forgiveness, I guess, as they reach out in the safety uh, of their high security locations and give try to give some type of false love to the victims' families and to the victims themselves, the one that didn't lose their life on the on the floor. I wonder what would happen if uh, it was their families, their children that was killed. I wonder if they've ever felt loss. I wonder if they know what it means like to have someone that you love so dearly leave you and walk on. I've lost so many people in my, my life from family, practically all of my family, to dear friends, and each time the scar cuts deeper, the wound bleeds more. I can only imagine what it's like for these families when they get the call from the school that their kid has not got detention, your kid has got dead.
I'm going to take a side trip into the oral art of the spoken word. This poem is from my next poetry chapbook, Categories Beyond Classifications, Poetry Not Endorsed by Category. greet one another, make judgments and assessments by smelling each other's asses as if they were more interested in what was than what is. Humans greet one another and make judgments and assessments based on influences of other people, media, religious influence, gossip, and seemingly look at nothing from the delicate reflections of the person being met. They too are as if they are more interested with what was than what is. Baboons have ill tempers, undoubtedly the most horrific rectum in the animal kingdom. Yet they still make their judgments on tribal instincts of what is, not the opinions, actions, or recommendations of others. A baboon is righteously more interested 
with what is than what was or what will be. But try as I might, I cannot lose my judgmental bigotry. I cannot rid the visual imagery lodged deeply within my mind of a horrendous, gnarly, and colorful baboon ass. buffs and beat lovers enjoy the oral art of the spoken word if you have some audio recordings would like to send them in to me i'll give them a listen the cool cast is being sponsored by sellers real estate if you need a real estate agent why not get one with old-fashioned business ethics and one that will really work hard for you sellers real estate is committed to offering each client the highest quality of service and care they may not be the biggest real estate office in Western Wyoming, but they pride themselves on providing exceptional service to all of their clients. Give them a call at 307-276-7735. You can find them online at www.sellersrealestatellc.com or you can also find a link on contributechaos.com. Give them a call. Contact Terry. Let them know that you heard it from the cool. One of the greatest things about this podcast and being actually is conversations. I love to have conversations with uh, people that I know, people that I don't know, and uh, the people that I am going to know. It is now time for a conversation with someone you should know. Today we have Terry Hill, a singer, songwriter, that's music has been influenced by being a working man. Terry's originally from Alabama and his songs are influenced by what he's done all his life It's like we've stepped back in time a bit where music Especially Americana music was influenced by the working men and women This is how things were passed on. It's our heritage. It's our history and you get a extremely valuable taste of this uh, When Terry starts playing he did bring his guitar and we will be listening to some music so it is uh, my pleasure to be in the cool bus with uh, Terry Hill.
think we should go back and revisit that. You think so? I think so, because that, that's a good story. <laughs> that's a really good story. All right. And where did you start from? I started from Pinedale. Pinedale? Yeah. I left Pinedale, headed to Costa Rica. Uh, I just wanted to go to Costa Rica, and I don't know. I said something <laughs> about wishing I had the nerve to ride my motorcycle down there. And You know Amy. She's <laughs> like, just do it. So nice. that's what we did. Nice. And you just by yourself? I rode down by myself. Yeah. She actually rode back with me. Huh. Yeah. Cool. And so I'm sure driving down through the crossing the border into Mexico was uh, was fine. But how did when you cross the border into Mexico? Is that when things started changing and yes, getting, getting interesting? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> where did you go into Mexico at? Actually, Tijuana. Uh, I wanted to ride down through the Baja Peninsula, so uh, I ended up crossing at Tijuana, which was not my first choice. Uh, so. Why Tijuana? I mean, why, why, which one did you want to go through? I wanted to go through the smaller, the smaller crossing at Tecate. Mm -hmm. And it's a cuter town, too. Yeah. But, uh, getting all the permits for your bike in, the, in Mexico, okay. you had to go through a bigger town. Yeah. So. And you got the permits when you got there at the border? Yes, yeah. yes. If you drive, if you just go a little ways into Mexico, you don't. But if you go like over 100 miles, you right. have to be a permit. So tell, tell me some Mexico. I know you had. I, I've driven into Mexico one time years ago, and, and I, I had numerous um, experiences from the federales to the cops, the traffic cops, and everything. So yeah, I did. Get, <laughs> yeah, I had a couple of, you know, not super bad experiences, but you know, they definitely pull you over for stuff and, you know, hit you up for twenty bucks. It's <laughs> like, oh, you know, I'm gonna have to take you in unless you got, you know, a little cash. I actually. I actually got in a wreck in oh, really? oh. Acapulco, oh. and it, it it was you know I guess in retrospect it's funny, but okay. you know it's a it's an intersection, and the guy behind me just ran into me, and uh, you know traffic is just crazy, yeah. and they actually had a cop directing directing traffic, and of course the guy hit me, you know, and I look, and then I pull over to where the cop is, and he just drives off the guy just speeds off and of course my spanish when you're excited you can't you can't remember spanish <laughs> you know i'm yelling at this cop in english that guy just hit me you know and he's just looking at me you know? uh, <laughs> and then he, you know when i finally made him understand he's just what do you want me to do <laughs> uh, and so the guy drove nothing ever yeah. he just drove away <laughs> what, what year was this 2011 2011 I think it was 2011. Yeah. When he hit you, didn't hurt your bike or anything? Well, no, it broke one of the one of the bags, but yeah. I just kind of wired it back together. You know, yeah. took some tie wire and some zip ties and wired it back together yeah. and made the whole trip. Huh, cool. So, did you go down to Mexico City? No, I was trying to avoid Mexico City just because I heard how crazy the traffic yes. was there. But uh, I it, it ended up. You know, just traveling in Mexico is tricky because road signs are hard. You don't they a lot of mm. places they don't have road signs, mm. and uh, all of the all of the main roads go to the main cities. Like mm. it's like Mexico City is a hub, so if you get on any main road, it pretty much takes you to Mexico City. Right. And trying to skirt around it, you know, it's not like the the interstate system in the U.S. where mm. you can pick an east-west or north-south direction and try to go around things. Uh, so you try to stay on the coast some or mostly 
Oh, I was, I was, uh, I was gonna stay on the coast the whole way, and then I met a couple guys at a little bar in in Baja, Loreto, I think. And the one guy is like, "Don't drive the coast because that's where the kidnappings." He said that. He said this yeah. section of the coast from, I think it was Puerto Vallarta to Acapulco. He said it's pretty desolate, and he said that's where the cartel is, is kidnapping people. He said, yeah. So don't drive that stretch of road, yeah. which. Going, not driving that stretch of road takes you way out of the way. Oh, so uh-huh. I was, I got lost a lot, <laughs> a uh, lot. <laughs> uh, well, be a, I we went, just went down to Hermosa. Uh, uh, I think not Hermosa, Hermosina maybe was, mm-hmm. and uh, we got lost a bunch of. We we better with pickup, but it cost us. We got stopped a lot. Yeah. And stuff. So, but um, and so then you went into uh, um, what was the next country you went into? Guatemala. 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 Yeah. I've never been to Guatemala. I, I thought I always thought that'd be a good country to go to. I I like Guatemala. I've been there. Well, I drove through that time and then drove through coming back, and there are spots that are just absolutely beautiful, beautiful places, and. Uh, I also went back to Guatemala a couple of years ago on a mission trip with my brother. I have a brother that's a Baptist preacher, and they they have like a you know um, a sister city or, or church down there that they go down and and uh, work on regular. And I went down there with him to help build a house. They were building somebody a house. And oh, nice! So I've been to Guatemala a couple of times, and I like Guatemala. Oh. It, it's uh, you know it's probably comparable to Nicaragua because you've been to Nicaragua several times yeah. and. It, it's maybe a little poorer than Nicaragua, yeah. not, but uh, you know a lot of similarities yeah. in the lifestyle. I, yeah, I tell you, I I, I like them, uh, the people in, in them poor countries like that. The poor, poor people are just they're, they're fantastic. Yeah, they are. They're, you know, it it makes you. Um, I think everybody in the United States should go down and have dinner with a poor family in, in Central or South America, mm-hmm. and and really see and understand what they're coming from. Right and uh, and plus other countries too, but uh, you know they they are so they're just such passionate people and about living, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and not worried about the what they have and what they don't have and trying to make some kind of a, a standard system that you know so you you, you your your standard in life is is uh, a derivative of what you have. Right, you know, they just living. They just live, and it, it's also odd how it's like it's almost like the poorer people are the more generous they are oh absolutely it's just, it's yeah. just crazy yeah. how people that have next to nothing want to share it with you yeah absolutely they want to you know come over i'll feed you yeah. come over you know and, and and take offense if you don't and take offense if you don't yeah. if you say yeah. no no you don't have to feed me they're like what do you mean you don't want to come over <laughs> i want to feed you yeah yeah and yeah so yeah yeah i love that and, it was uh, and, and the, it's almost like the more well-off people are in this country is the stingier they yeah. get and, and I found uh, in uh, Nicaragua, I was with some uh, family that was uh, a little higher up in, in the food chain, and uh, they'd lost that. Yeah. They, they, the, uh, the elders of the family hadn't. The ones that had, had lived poor and, and got some wealth and became what we, I guess we, we would call uh, middle class, mm-hmm. you know, they hadn't forgot where they came from. And so they were very generous, and, and they just treated you like, like a king, you know. But the younger ones that was coming up, that, that was raised in that middle class, they'd forgotten about it. Yeah. They, they was getting arrogant, and they was all about their, what kind of 
clothes they had on on right. and, and stuff, you know. Buying the new the new yeah. trinkets or whatever. I, I remember I was in this one town in, in Nicaragua that uh, it was uh, after the Sandinistas, that whole era, which is lost and regained now, but it's, um, they, they had they built these concrete houses for everybody, and it's where the poor were. And they, they were, the, the people there had nothing. Dirt floors, uh, cinder block houses. And, uh, but they would go in and they would take the rocks and the flowers and, and they had, everything was swept. The rocks was placed around the front doors. The inside was a dirt floor, but it was swept. Yeah. And I would see the men and women both would, would come out of the house to go to work or something, dressed to the nights. Yeah. You would never know that they, that they lived in a, a, on a dirt floor, you know, right. it was amazing. The, yeah. yeah. That's the way the houses in the, the village that we went to in, uh, Guatemala, they still made, some of those houses were still made out of, uh, um, like, pressed earth bricks. You there, there was one spot where I actually saw them drying the bricks behind someone's house, like they were fixing to, well, there was a couple of houses that were new enough that you could still see the individual pressed earth, you know, mud bricks, oh, uh -huh. and then mud packed between yeah. them, and, and then I was looking at that, and then there was another place where I saw them drying bricks, you know, they had Right. Like little boxes out in the right. sun where they had made mud bricks. And, yeah, uh, that's cool. That'd be neat to see. And and Nicaragua, I, I just I I mean I loved it. First time I went there, it was you know it was during the the situation down there with it, and uh, the elections and stuff with the, with the Sandinistas and the Contras and all that. But uh, I made a lot of friends that are still friends today. You know what I mean? It's, right. I, I, I you went down that. there first as a reporter. Yeah. 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 And uh, it was it was great. And the Florida de Canyon rum. <laughs> yeah, Florida Canyon rum. That's what I actually went through a spell where I would look for it in yeah. all the liquor stores to get some. I need to get some Florida Canyon. I, I I brought a bunch back with me that first trip, and it was a little. I have to say, a little bit disappointed uh, when I, I I got home and I was, like, I was talking it up to everybody, you know, and I drinking it, and it just didn't have it. It wasn't the same as it was down there. No. And I think it's just the, the atmosphere, you know. And, but I remember sitting around, it was a group of people, and, and, and it was music. And I think that's why I've, I always try to surround myself with musicians, because I can't play anything but a, but a stereo. But I was down there this, this, this time, and there was about six of us in a circle drinking uh, the Florida Candy Rum. And they took green mangoes, sliced green mangoes, and put really coarse salt on them. And so we were eating, eating those. There was one guitar, and uh, the, everybody in that circle could play. And they would, we, they'd play a song, and they'd pass it to the next guy. They'd play a song and pass it on. It was a magical night, and uh, that, that's I think I always thought of that, like at Rock Rabbit, yeah. after like open mic nights <clears throat> and stuff. After the the mic was shut off, after every, and most of the crowd left, and everybody came down to the floor, and we're just sitting around. That was fun. That was the best. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So. Locked the doors and heck, we stayed. We stayed all night a couple times, I think. <laughs> uh, uh, did you uh, when you were down there? Did you travel with your your guitar? I usually take a travel guitar. Yeah. I have a couple of smaller guitars that yeah. I try to take. That's cool. I don't always play them, but yeah. it, you know, it's like you, you don't want to want one and not right. have one. Yeah. So. Yeah. So when you was going into, tell me about the rainstorm again when you, you into Nicaragua and uh, and getting rained on and, and quitting for the evening okay so i you know maybe it's a decent story it, it was funny at the time it just was crazy i was just so tired riding in the rain on the motorcycle and just 
worn out, hungry, looking for a place to eat. And, and I saw this little place on the side of the road, you know, that, uh, I can't remember the Spanish, but it was a bar and restaurant and, and, the, and it's got these big double doors that are open, you know, cause the weather other than the rain, it's warm. So I just walked through them, you know, dripping wet and him looking around for a waitress or someone there was, and it was pretty empty and, you know, I'm looking and I hear this guy in the corner, you know, say, curious, curious, una cerveza. <laughs> and I turn and look and I was like, see, sí, yeah, una cerveza. <laughs> I'll take a beer. <laughs> so he buys me a beer and tells me to sit down, you know, siéntate. And I yeah. sat with him and we just start talking. And he talked about working in the U.S. He had been spent months, I don't know if it was years, working in the U.S. And, and had gone back to Nicaragua and bought himself a place and you know, it was just funny to hear him because, you know, he was drinking and I was drinking and then he had some friends that joined him and, you know, just carrying on and and uh, hitting on the waitress they were. And, you know, he one of the things that he said that just made me laugh was uh, those big double doors. We were just at one point we were just sitting there watching it just pour down rain right outside the right outside these big double doors. And he's like, how do you like Nicaraguan television? <laughs> <laughs> Muchas agua. <laughs> uh, I was like, oh. <laughs> uh, and they just, you know, and then they would get up one at a time and they all rode these little dirt bikes, you know, like people around that part of the world drive, you know, uh, transportation. You know, it's very efficient transportation, you know, and he goes out and jumps on his dirt bike and runs off down through the ditch and up on the road. Uh, it's like, is he okay? <laughs> and then the other guy's like, no, but I don't want to drive him home. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and then the, like I told you earlier, the one guy, when it got down to just me and one guy left and I'm telling him I need a place to stay. Does he know where there's a motel? And he's like, yeah, I do. I do. You can follow me to the motel and I'll show you. And then he hesitates for a second. He goes, no, you go first. Cause there's a roadblock down at the bottom of the hill. And I don't have a driver's license. So, you know, you're an American riding a big motorcycle. When you get to the roadblock, they'll stop you. And while they're hassling you, I can drive through. And then I'll wait down the road for you. <laughs> and you can come catch up and then I'll take you to the motel. <laughs> like, you know, and I'm drinking. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not drunk drunk, but I definitely... Uh, in the United States would not yeah. have gotten on my motorcycle and rode, you know, uh, and, the guy, and, the, and he's telling me to get stopped at the roadblock <laughs> so that he can get through. Uh, well, you know, it worked out. Yeah. <laughs> it just cost you five bucks. Yeah, it just cost me five bucks. <laughs> so, and then the next day he was gone and that was it. That was uh, it, yeah. Uh, road encounter that uh, you'll, you'll never forget yeah. and it'll never reproduce itself. Your other trip I remember uh, you tell me about is uh, when you decided to be on a crew in, uh, in, in was it Europe? It was in the Mediterranean. Mediterranean, yes. yeah. yeah. Crew the ship. I went through a stage where I was just determined to live on a sailboat, and <clears throat> I don't know that I've completely outgrown that. I, I'm, I've just gotten distracted for the last <laughs> three or four years. But uh, so yeah, there's websites you know that want to hire out as crew on. Well, all kinds of boats, but sailboats was what I was looking at, and they're all over the world. And you can uh, you can go as you know. Sometimes you can get a free ride. Sometimes you have to pay your room and board, and sometimes you can actually get paid, but you usually have to have some experience in order to 
get a little bit of money. But so yeah, I signed up for one that was sailing across the Mediterranean, and and that was uh, that was quite a fun, yeah. exciting, interesting trip too. He was a couple <clears throat> months on that, wasn't he? Yeah, the the trip itself was about a month, mm. and then I stayed in Spain for a couple, three weeks, maybe three mm. weeks afterwards. Yeah. What what'd you do on the boat? Um, the main reason that they hire people is as a watchman, because you know if they're sailing round the clock, especially in in waters that have a lot of traffic, they have someone has to be awake at all times mm. to watch for other boats. So that's the that's the main thing, and, and you know it's you know pretty consistent that they'll hire people with no experience, and basically that's just so they have enough people on the boat so that someone can always be awake to watch. So you're you're not really driving the boat, you're just no, you're, you're just watching. Just watching. I mean, you know, if you're wanting to learn, they'll teach you to drive yeah. the boat, but you know the main reason you're there is to take your shift on watch. Well, that's pretty interesting, actually, though. Yeah. And how big of a sailboat was it? This one was 50 feet. Only American? No, there was one other American. Actually, the captain of the boat was an American. The owner was Australian. Mm-hmm. Myself and the captain were American. There were three Italians, a Frenchman, and two Russians. Kazakhstan. He said, oh. he said they were from Kazakhstan. And he said, we're Russian. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and did, did you, was it pretty much a, a straight shot or did you, did you port and get to? We stopped in several places. There was a, you know, heck that, to me, that was the fun part of it was the places you end up stopping. You know, you, you end up stopping in ports that, you know, a person would never go as mm-hmm. a tourist. You know, it's, we stopped at a little, a little, a, one of my favorite little towns was probably a little town on the south coast of Crete. Mm-hmm. Which I think Crete is a fairly popular tourist destination, mm-hmm. but I and I may be wrong here, but I got the impression that not many people came to that town because it was on the back side of the island and it was kind of a long, windy road to get there. But uh, you know, it had a it had a marina. Mm-hmm. We spent the night there. Went up, bounced around a couple of bars, had a couple of drinks. I think one of the bars was run by an Englishman. I sat and chatted with for a while and. It was just a beautiful, you know, typical, mm. I guess not, it wasn't the super picturesque Greeks, in, right. you know, Greek towns that mm. you see in pictures, but it was really similar, you know, well, this yeah. little town stuck into stuck into this, this little cove hillside with a little tiny marina at mm. the bottom and, you know, mm-hmm. maybe five boats in yeah. it, you know, it was, it was cool. It was nice. I, I've done that whole, uh, I've done the whole thing, but I've done a lot of that on a sailboat around, it was the northern part, but we, we left Athens and. And it made a big circle out there, and it was like I said, every night you go to a different little port, and I and I ate octopus, man. I love octopus. Yeah. And they they grilled octopus every night, and just meeting different people, and uh, yeah, it was some of the places we, we'd come in, and they'd uh, you you'd take there was come in late at night, and so the marina's full, and so the, the sailboat's just gonna start locking it, tying to the next sailboat, uh-huh. and so when you go into the bar. You, you're crossing 10 sailboats, walking across the sailboats to get to the, the marina to get, get into town, which is all fine. And there's no, hardly anybody there, but on the way back, <laughs> you're meeting, you know, it, by the time we were the, one of the last <laughs> sailboats out there, and by the time we got back to our, uh, our, our boat, we was 
twisted because <laughs> everybody's stopping you drinking wine and yeah. telling stories. Your symphony, yeah. <laughs> Whether you can speak to him or not, you know, yeah. uh, you, you still you try to communicate as best you can, but everybody can communicate with a glass of wine. With a glass of wine, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. That's that's pretty cool. So, what what other uh, excursions have you done? That little trip with my brother a couple of winters ago, the little mission trip to that to that village in uh, in Guatemala yeah. is is really about it for the last couple of years. Yeah. I've been busy working, trying to put some money away, build myself a little piece of life, and I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I, I hope that I hope that I get caught back up because I do miss those. I miss those days. Yeah. You, it, it's funny when you you you, t- you start telling stories about things like that, your eyes come alive. You know, when you when you talk about working and doing stuff like that, you, nobody has a, a bright eye. You know, yeah. it's when they start, when yeah. you start talking about living life, that's when your your eye gets bright. So, so let's talk about your music. Uh, when, when did uh, how and when did you get started in, in with music? Um. Well, I've always been a fan of music, and uh, you know, I grew up singing in the church. Uh, all of my my whole family sings very well. Now there's quite there's several that play play some play guitar, and my mom played a little bit of piano, and so uh, singing in the church is the main you know thing that got me started in singing, and uh, then you know I just I really liked music, and liking the devil's music is kind of got what me, what got me distracted from the church, I, I'll say. And, uh, so, uh, so you, you was raised uh, pretty strict. Yeah, fairly strict Baptist. Yeah, yeah. yeah, pretty strict. Like I said, I got an uncle that's a preacher, and and a lot of my co- uh, siblings, cousins, you know, they they sing really well. They play, but it's it's church music. They yeah. they're uh, uh, music ministers. I have three cousins that are. That's how they make a living. Is they're mi- music ministers at churches around uh-huh. around in Alabama. That's one of my, my list of things to do. I, I want to go to a, a Baptist church in the South and, and, and listen, you know, where, where they just get carried away singing. And, and I I really, really want to experience that. That would be amazing. I wish that I had gone to some of the more outgoing Baptist churches. You know, mine was you know, fairly stale. I mean, they mm-hmm. sing. They definitely get into the singing yeah. part. But, um, you know, there's others that are a little better. Yeah, the more theatrical. Uh, you came to Wyoming? For the work, yeah. The first time I came to Wyoming was actually probably my first adventure. I uh, I quit college and I wanted to go see the mountains. That's what I'm yeah. like. I quit. I quit. I had an ROTC scholarship, and I decided I didn't want to be in the Air Force. Yeah. So by quitting the scholarship, I quit college essentially because that was my money. Right. So. Uh, and I decided I wanted to go see the mountains. So that's what I told everybody. I'm going to see the mountains. <laughs> and uh, I bought a motorcycle. I actually borrowed money from my grandmother, bought a motorcycle, and came out to Wyoming. Well, I, I wasn't headed to Wyoming. I was headed to Colorado. Everybody knows right. about Colorado. Yeah. And then spent a couple of weeks in Colorado. And then my future mother-in-law had told me you had to see Jackson Hole. So I was headed toward Jackson Hole. And then we actually, my my girlfriend at the time became my wife was was with me and we had an accident we we hit a rock in the road on i-80 and ended up spending a bunch of money getting a new tire for the bike and we actually got jobs in dubois nobody got hurt 
No, nobody got yeah. hurt. So we got we ended up getting jobs in Dubois and spending the whole summer. So that was the first time I came to work. Kind of loved it. Yeah. So when I got a chance to come back and work, I took it and came back and have pretty much been back ever since. Yeah. So when did the welding come into play? Um. Well, after I went back to Alabama and Rhonda and I got married and had a couple of kids, you know, guy needs to make a living yeah. doing something and so I ended up welding. Yeah. You know, it, it was it's a you know, it's a good trade. It's a good way it's as good a way to make a living I guess is as a lot of things. Yeah. So I ended up learning to weld and started welding and then started traveling around chasing construction jobs around the country with the idea in mind to get back to this part of the country and eventually I did. Yeah. So that's what I've always thought was cool is how you'll go, you know, you can go get your welding jobs and get moneyed up and then go, you can go play and, or, you know, and your music with your, uh, so when did you start, like, performing music? I started playing the guitar in my 20s when I was traveling, working, just have something to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but I actually probably didn't really, I started writing songs not long after that, but I was really, really shy or terrified so i bet i went close to 10 years without ever playing in public or well i had never played in public other than like singing in the choir in the church and mm -hmm. you know eventually it reached a point that i just wanted to play the songs that i had written so i started going to open mics mm -hmm. and playing songs and i was in my 30s mm -hmm. the first time i ever actually a lot of people are like what and i was like yeah i was in my 30s the first time i played my guitar at an open mic and sang. Well, because that's about when uh, I've probably known you for 20 some years. So it was, uh, I bet maybe about five years after the first time I started going to open mics in Evanston. And then I started working in Pinedale. And by then I was trying to play, you know, one of the first real gigs I had was playing up at Lakeside. I don't know if you, well, I know you remember that, but, uh, um, I was staying, I was living in my camper mm -hmm. at Lakeside okay. and, uh, I got to know the folks running the restaurant, you know, and I said, you know, just asked them if I could come over and play my guitar. And, um, uh, I ended up doing it for several years in a row yeah. in the summertime, you know, fairly regular, yeah. just playing for dinner and some, they, you know, they would, if they had money, they would pay me. Yeah. And, you know, that was kind of the deal. They're yeah. like, if we make money and we can, we'll share it with you. Yeah. And, you know, it worked good. It was uh, it was great practice. Yeah. And and then along about that same time is when you opened the Rock Rabbit and started having open mics. Yeah. So I started coming to them. Here we are. <laughs> As a, a songwriter, you're amazing. I mean, your, your stuff. And, and then the, the other the covers that you do are, are phenomenal. You like one of the first people I ever saw use your guitar as a drum to, to play with that song, and it just blew me away when I saw, when I saw that. I thought that was really cool. I, yeah. I like playing that song as yeah. much as as much as uh, as any of them. Yeah. I, uh, sometimes I don't play it because I'm afraid people get tired of it, but uh, I don't. I don't know. I, don't know. I like. I had a friend of mine ask me. TJ asked me one time why there why 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 don't people write work songs anymore? I was like, because they're watching TV. <laughs> you know, used to they people went home. I got cracks and look at the cracks in this guitar from beating on it on this song. <laughs> I've, I've had it fixed twice. Oh wow! I'm hitting it. I've started. 
It makes a really good sound when you pop it right there on it. <laughs> uh, I've broken it twice. <laughs> wow. Uh. Lay your stinger down, boy, lay your stinger down. If you can't lay a mile a day, you better lay your stinger down. Boy, lay your stinger down, boy, lay your stinger down. Can't lay a mile a day, you better lay your stinger down. Setting tractor grabs and goes, he's boiling smoke and dust. Space enhances nailer boys, we're gonna make two miles of bust. Oh, lay your stinger down, boy, lay your stinger down. You can't lay a mile a day, you better lay your stinger down. Beat hand starts in fast and smooth, he's sure to catch both sides. Hit the bottom, running hard and hard. He says, give me another five. Boy, give me another five. Boy, give me another five. <clears throat> Hit the bottom, running hard and hard. He says, give me another five. Hot pass and he's digging deep. And Lord, the sparks do fly. Can't leave a trace of the man before. You better give me another five. Boy, give me another five. Boy, give me another five. Can't leave a trace of the man before you better give me another five. Firing line, they're pouring sweat, you know the race is on. Last man to the bottom, he better grab his ground and run. Oh, lay your stinger down, boy, lay your stinger down. If you can't lay a mile a day, you better lay your stinger down. Up the hill and down the hill, on and on we go. Spread boss cats, get another gear, boys, you're moving way too slow. Oh, lay your stinger down, boy, lay your stinger down. Can't lay a mile a day, you better lay your stinger down. Boy, lay your stinger down. Boy, lay your stinger down. You can't lay a mile a day, you better lay your stinger down. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> and you know, and you are so true that, uh, you know, so much of our uh, Americana music was about living your life and working and everything you did. Yeah. You know, and, and now it's gone. Yeah, there is, you know, because it, definitely it's, fading for yeah. sure, and even worse now because of this the social media and the cell phones and everything. Yeah. You know, it's it's like another dive deeper. So, yeah, it's amazing. So, I, I took out my guitar one time. Just uh, I was talking about this the other day to someone, and uh, it was in a waiting room somewhere. Well, I was actually in the hospital, I think, and uh, some, you know, it was a big group because someone was you know, ill, <laughs> and and uh, and. Uh, Someone said, "Grab your guitar, Terry, and play a song." You know, we were all family and friends, mm -hmm. and so I did. And I started playing playing a song, and these little kids come running from the other side of the waiting room, and they just like stood there in awe. There was like three or four. I mean, they just stood right in front of me the whole time. It was like totally mesmerized, and, and you know, I was trying to figure out. Someone said later just how fascinated those kids were, and it, it made me think, you know. Maybe they'd never seen anyone play music, right. you know, that they, they didn't know where music came from. Right. You know, they, they'd never actually seen it come out of a person. Right. 
So probably not. Yeah, it's, it comes out of the phone. You know, you can't. It's it's music. You, even the delivery of music. You know, from the cassettes, the eight tracks to cassettes. You know, to uh, CDs. to CDs and and then in, yeah. and all digitized and and people. And now it's on your phone, and you have you know a thousand songs in your phone. None of it is good as vinyl. Yeah. You, you you listen to vinyl and you hear the sound waves yeah. instead of the, the the bites. Another one of my favorite quotes. Uh, it's not mine. I read I read it someplace, but uh, about the. <clears throat> Why we should always keep vinyl around is because you can't roll a joint on a download. <laughs> <laughs> was it six foot two? Was that when? Was that yours? That were? Well, I guess it was always Chuck's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everything's Chuck. Chuck's there. It belongs to Chuck. Yeah. Um, uh. um, yeah, six foot two kind of started right after I got divorced. I one of one of the only things that I could think of that I wanted to do was to record some music and. Just because, like, I try to explain to someone, if a, if a song isn't recorded, it doesn't really exist except in your head or while you're playing it. Right. And, you know, it's not like a, a piece of visual art that you make the art mm. and then it exists from then on. You know, the song, if, if it's not recorded and you stop playing it, it doesn't exist anymore. Right. So I wanted to, I wanted to record some music. So I went and, and recorded and I just hired studio musicians and. And it was, it was black, you know, it was fun. It worked, you know, as good as I expected anyway. And, but then the next time, um, I wanted to get friends of mine and people that I played with to play music with me and record. And that's what started six foot two. Mm. So talking with Ryan and Ryan and I, Ryan moved back, Ryan Patazin moved mm. back to town and we got to, to hanging out at the rock rabbit mm. and, you know, playing the open mics and then talking afterwards and I asked him if he'd be interested in, in learning to play some of my songs, you know, as a, eventually to record. And then Chuck got involved, you know, he just walked in one day mm. with his bass, you know, and I've always been kind of half afraid of Chuck, you know, he was <laughs> the, the, the guy in town, mm. you know, especially in the music scene, mm. you know, uh, and, you know, I always had tons of respect for him. Mm. I, I liked, I like everything he did. I mean, yeah. the, the, you know, thinking back on getting the opportunity to play music with him is just, you know, I learned so much from him, you know, about right. so many things. Yeah. Uh, we could tell, I could tell you, I mean, it, it, it's not a, a, a serious Chuck story other than the fact that it just, you know, illustrates his, his commitment to music. But uh, he just walked in one day with his bass and, um, it was right before you were doing a book signing or something, and I had already told you that I would play for your. You were either selling jewelry or doing a book signing, and we had already talked, and I was going to come down there and play. And uh, like the week before, or a few days before, you know, Chuck comes in and he's like, "I want to play music with you, you guys." Looking at me and Ryan, you know, we were doing something. It was an open mic, I think, and he's like, "Can I play?" Of course, you know, and. and uh, he said, I want to play music with you guys. Okay? And we're like, definitely okay. Sit down, you know, and and you you know, the rest, it was just that that became six foot two. I you know, when the six foot two came, I thought both of those guys were taller than me. And I'm close to six one, and I thought they were both taller than me. And I was like, let's call ourselves six foot two. And then Chuck swears he was only six feet, but he plays like he was six two. <laughs> uh, musician that Chuck played with. Just crazy. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, he comes he comes back into my thoughts a lot. Yeah, because he, he when he passed two years ago now? I think it's been three. Three years ago? Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely made a void in, in, in this community and amongst all the musicians. Yes. For, for sure. So. Yes, and probably other voids that people don't even, a lot of people don't even know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. He touched a lot of people. Yeah. yeah he really, really did. Very, very. I I introduced him one time because I remember him playing on the black and white floor at the Stockwinds, you know, mm-hmm. back as, as in the Midnight Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And uh, I introduced him as the man that knows ever. Uh, Every wife, girlfriend, and one night stand I've ever had. A line in a song about that black and white floor in the Stockwinds. Yeah, yeah. And it and it comes from sitting there listening to Chuck and the Midnight Cowboys playing. Right. Yeah. You know, I was sitting yeah. in there on a yeah. spring night and it was snowing outside and the yeah. Midnight Cowboys were playing. Yeah. Where uh, are you? Are you still writing music? You know, the last couple of years I really haven't mm. much. I I, uh, I haven't been playing that much either. I, I've it's kind of, well, I played an open mic in Jackson here a month or so ago, and I had a song that I actually wrote a couple of years ago, but I've never played it very much. So it's kind of, you know, catch-22 there. You don't, if you're not doing anything with stuff, then it quits coming, I guess. But uh, I know, and I, it was a new song, and I wanted to play it, or a relatively new song, and I wanted to play it. And then I couldn't remember it because I hadn't played it enough. <laughs> and, uh. you know, so that's kind of where I'm at yeah. now, just... Just a lull, I hope. Yeah. Well, I think you know, given all everything that you do, I think there's a lot of people that that uh, really look up to you as a musician too around the in the community. You know, I, I really do. Just from what you know, because you are, you know, if, if nothing else, you're consistent about it. <laughs> <laughs> but and you're effortless about it. You know, you're, you're when you sing, you're uh, everything is just you. You're effortless. You just—it's so natural for you. You look so natural doing it, and everything just flows and sounds good. And are we good? Are we hit it? And I think so. I was going to tell you that quick Chuck story. If you oh yeah yeah yeah, it's just it's it's just it's about. I mean, it was the it was the winter that well he, he passed away that summer. He died that summer, so he was he was ill. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were playing at the Corral for Valentine's Day. Alex Alex Lashimano always calls it the Valentine's You remember the Valentine's Day gig at the Corral? <laughs> Which is, you know, hilarious yeah. just saying that. So, uh, but Chuck had booked it, you know, because he made a lot of his money playing music and mm-hmm. we were like, okay, yeah, heck, yeah. Ended up being a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Two nights at the Corral, just a ton of fun. But, uh, you know, Chuck was obviously not as, you know, not himself, you know, mm-hmm. he was not well. He still played well. You know, he was right there, you know, but you could tell at the end of the night he was really drained. And, and uh, so we were talking, and I can't remember exactly how it came up, but he's like, oh, yeah, I went to the doctor this week, and they're telling me that I'm having the congestive heart failure again. And they tried to put me in the hospital, but I told them I couldn't I couldn't go in the hospital because I had gigs this weekend. I told them I would come down on Sunday or Monday, and they could put me in the hospital then. <laughs> and we looked at him, you know, because he's just played two nights, five-hour gigs, playing until 2 o'clock in the morning in a smoky bar when he should be in the hospital, you know. And uh-huh. Chuck, you know, and he's like, I'll just go. I'll go down tomorrow. They'll put me in the hospital, and I'll be okay by, by Wednesday, you know. And then we played another gig at the Crooked Creek Guest Ranch over in Dubois. Uh, a couple of weeks later in March, and and you could tell he was he was hurting then too, yeah. you know. 
because that's at like 9,000 feet. Right, yeah. And uh, I remember him walking out, you know, and you could, we, they put us up in a cabin and he was looking at that walk, you know, and of course Amy was there. She's like, I'll go get the truck for you, Chuck. Just hang out here. So you could tell he was hurting him. And, but he kept playing. I mean, he kept playing right up till the end. You know, right. we had that party at the Stockman's that, that mm-hmm. His going away party for when he was going to go back to Mississippi, you know, to try because the doctors told him he had to move to a lower elevation. Yeah. And I mean, he he played his ass off that night. Oh, yeah. That version of, I think it's like a, a a variation of Red House. He starts out playing Red House and then he starts making up lyrics. Yeah. And that version he did that night singing to Linda yeah. just killed me. Oh, that was good. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah, you know that was that was an amazing night. And yeah. uh, and then yeah. two months later, he was yeah. dead. He should have never left. Yeah, he should have just stayed. Yeah. You know, I think he'd have been happier if he just yeah. stayed here. I think you're right. I am an old woman named after my mother. Old man is another child that's grown old. Dreams were lightning, thunder was his ire. So house would burn down a long time ago. Make me an angel that flies from Montgomery. Make me a poster An old rodeo Just give me one thing That I can hold on to To believe in this living Is just a hard way to go young girl I had me a cowboy weren't much to look at just free rambling man that was a long time no matter how I tried the years just flow by like a broken down dam Flies from Montgomery Make me a poster Of an old rodeo Just give me one thing That I can hold on to To believe in this living Is just a, a hard way to go There's flies in the kitchen I can hear them in there buzzing 
And I ain't done nothing since I woke up today. How the hell can a person go to work in the morning, come home in the evening, have nothing to say? Make me an angel that flies from Montgomery. Make me a poster and hold old Just give me one thing that I can hold on to. To believe in this living is just a hard way to go. To believe in this living is just a hard way to go. To believe in this living is just a hard way to go. That was beautiful. I just I love that song, and your rendition of it is uh, better to me than John Franklin. I love that song. I love singing that song. I really there ain't a, there ain't a song in the world I'd rather sing than that song. I just love it. Well, that's the end of episode number four. I want to thank Terry Hill for uh, being here and sharing your music, your ideas, your thoughts. You gave us some great stories about Chuck and some of your own insights about music and what's going on in, in your mind and your artistic soul. I hope people enjoy this and uh, if you ever get a chance to listen to Terry play live, it will be a, an evening or a moment that will last you forever. Sellers Real Estate, thank you so much for supporting the Coolcast, the newsletter, and even just keeping gas in the, the cool bus so we can travel around uh, finding stories and new things to uh, put into these publications. I want to thank Jeannie Henderson for her donation. She went to the donate button and didn't advertise or anything. She just hit donate. So that's always wonderful to do. And till uh, next time when we've got another great story lined up for you. Whose motorcycle is this? It's a chopper, baby. Whose chopper is this? Zed's. Who's Zed? Zed's dead, baby. Zed's dead.